So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 45. Today marks the end of our series. This is our seventh week in the series about the life of Joseph. I hope and pray that it has been an encouragement to you. I hope that the Lord has spoken some truth, some deep things into your heart, has built you up, has strengthened you, has challenged you. And we're coming to the last one today, probably the most difficult concept for me to get. Maybe it's easy for you to get. But it's the concept of when God shows up as sovereign. When God shows up and he is sovereign in all activities. What does it mean? What does that sovereignty mean? Well, I won't give you the deep theological definitions that go on for pages. I'll give you one that I can understand and it is this. God is in control, period. Even when you see things around us that do not look like that there's anything in control, that chaos maybe is beginning to get the victory, I'm telling you he, it isn't. God is in control. Nothing happens in this universe that is outside of God's authority. Remember, he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. He is, everything is under him. He has no limitations. Matter of fact, it says, uh, John wrote it in the, in the Revelation in, in chapter 21. God is above all things. He is before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Greek uh, beginning letter of the alphabet and ending letter of the alphabet. Uh, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is immortal. He is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. That's his desire. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, God created all things. He holds things, all things together, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. And it's interesting in the last few years, as they've been able to break down ourselves uh, into micro levels, and just, uh, I think it's within the last five years, they even came up with a phrase, they have a particle called the God particle. You can't explain anything else other than it is the element that holds everything together. Paul knew that when he wrote that verse. And then in Romans 11, he says this, God knows all things past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge. He knows everything completely, even before it happens. So that's why I'm telling you it's hard for my mind to get around what sovereignty means. Is that he is above all, he knows all, he knows the end as clearly as he knows the beginning because he's not caught up in creation, he's not caught up in time. He is God that can, sees it all in a split second. Everything, even the chaos that we see in our day is not catching God by surprise. As a matter of fact, he told us about it as he would have the writers talk about things happening in the future. He talked about days like this. And when it seems to get darker and darker, turbulence, riots in Europe, you've got earthquakes all over the place, you know, all of those things. The scripture has told us in advance that these are the things that are going to happen, like birth pains, like the beginning of something getting ready to happen. So as we see things get darker and maybe more turbulent, I also know that we're going to begin to see a greater resistance to the cause of Christ and those who follow him. We see that now across the planet. We're still protected quite a bit, but you even see it in America, how the attack against, 
you can say God and you can be for God, you just can't be for Jesus. So that begins to be the, the dividing point when we say that Jesus is the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, question. What does all this sovereignty have to do with me and with you? I want to just try to answer that as we look at these passages together today. Chapter 45 and the first eight verses. When Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. It was just him standing before his brothers. And he wept so loudly. Can you hear? Use your imagination here. They leapt so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. There was a grief and a mourning and a cry from this man as he stood before his brothers. And I think he was realizing at that point why God had placed him where he had placed him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Those words must have stung the hearts of those brothers. You know, just the dread. Oh my goodness, what is this? He's going to do bad things now because we've done bad things to him. He said, but the first thing he says, is my father still alive? But his brothers were not even able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. When Joseph said this to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into into slavery in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. God's sovereignty, first thing I want you to get is that it helps me to forgive. And it helps you to forgive. It's a big issue. It's a big issue. Uh, We talk about it a lot, but in reality, the areas of our life that we hold people responsible with and we keep unforgiveness in our heart, it, it latches us to that location in our spiritual journey. If we're latched to an unforgiveness, to a wrong done to us, We will not grow, we'll not develop, we'll not move forward. So it's a big deal to not only be forgiven by God, but to be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. What makes us able to be able to to forgive those who've harmed us? Well, the first thing is this, we desire people to live in freedom. If you've been set free by Jesus, and you know all the sin and the mess you brought to him, and on that day when you came to the Lord he said I forgive you and he removed that sin from me and from you as far as the east is from the west and another part of the scripture says he's taken that sin that happened and he buried it in the depths of the sea to remember it against us no more only God can do that 
Because this says to me that if we went to the Lord today and said, God, remember how bad I was back then, he would say to us, no, I don't remember. He said, I put it as far away from me that I don't remember it against you anymore. This is a God who has all knowledge, all of power, all ability, said, I have put it in a place I will not hold it or remember it against you. Pretty amazing. We desire people to live in freedom. Here's what Joseph said. Don't be worried or angry. Notice what he said, with yourselves. Brothers, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Forgiveness, do you hear it? Don't be angry with yourself. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So we want to help people find freedom. Second, being aware that God is fully in charge of, of your life. This is important. That we become aware of it. He's going to get us to the right place, to the right time, doing the right thing. Because if we're pursuing him. Now you can rebel against the Lord and find a, wind up in a whole different situation like the belly of a whale or something but if you're pursuing him you will not miss God's plan for your life he is orchestrating all of our life in verse 6 through 8 he said this God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant remember the seed that was given to Abraham the seed of Abraham is going to come the Messiah that we're celebrating here at Christmas the birth of Christ but that seed was not plural, Paul says, it is singular. That seed was that genetic line that was going to fall all the way from the time of Abraham all the way through the life of Joseph to protect that genetic line all the way down through David, uh, King David, and out of the line of David, was going to, that seed was going to be protected until it came to the point of birth on planet Earth as a baby. So he said, he sent me ahead of you to protect you, to keep you alive, to keep that seed functioning alive. Third, discovering that God's blessings for you are not hindered, hear me, by others' abuse. God's blessings for you are not hindered because of other people's abuse. You need to know that. We see this in the life right here, verse eight. It was not you who sent me here, Joseph said. Although his brothers were involved with that, right? Threw him in a pit, sold him for 20 uh, silver shekels, <clears throat> sent him to Egypt as a slave to Midianites, that enemy of Egypt. And but right here he says, you didn't send me here. You think Joseph had had some awakening, some un deeper understanding of God than maybe we do at times? Stuck in our pit, stuck in our abuse. He has made me, through this, a father figure to Pharaoh. He has also made me the Lord of his entire household, and he lets me rule over all of Egypt, from slave to ruler. God does that. And what I want you to know is that, that thing, those things that have worked for your destruction do not define you and do not restrict you unless you hold on to it and, and keep it. But God will not let those things hinder you. His word is going to be accomplished in your life. When you get hurt, <clears throat> and there's been severe hurt, I get it. I know that there's some of you been abused physically, emotionally, sexually. Relationships have broken in unfaithfulness. You've been through a lot. I know that. 
This earth just comes with those kinds of pain. But when somebody hurts us, it's almost like they brought in a sack of trash into your house and they poured that trash out in your living room. You have a couple of options. You can just leave it there or you might even kick it over to the side so it's not right out in the midst of where you're living. Or we might even move it back and put it in one of the bedrooms we're not using. We just put it, push it all back in there and then close the door. You can do that. You have an opportunity to keep that trash inside. Or you can pick up the trash. There's a little effort. You have to maybe get your hands dirty. You may have to get another sack. But you start picking that trash up. You take it outside and you put that trash where it goes away from you. You have two options. Some of us like to keep that trash. We like to keep it around. I'm just telling you, when we don't forgive and we let that trash stay in our house, then other trash is going to come. Other things, other hurtful things are going to happen. More trash gets dumped. And before long, you're almost like a trash hoarder. Your house is full of trash. And all you can do is just walk through a little path bound up in the in the garbage of that death. God did not want us to do that. He wants you to take that trash when it comes, put it in the sack, take it outside of your life, and let God deal with that. Let the Lord deal with that. He's quite capable. He'll take care of those things for us. See, if we gather so much trash, it comes a point we won't be able to live any longer. There's just no place to live. How do we handle it? Bottom line on your notes, fully forgive fully forgive and some of you think well I've done that recheck please see what relationships are still hindered and harmed and what areas are still bitter and tender and painful in your heart second thing when God's sovereignty shows up it settles it that you are God's child and here it is he's a great father When he shows up as sovereign, he shows up that we are his children and we have a very great father. Look at Genesis. We're going to jump over to Genesis 50. Starting in verse 19. What I want you to look for as we're reading through this is what does it take to walk in God's victory? What does it take to walk in God's victory? Starting verse 19 of chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He's speaking to his brothers. Am I in a position of God? You intended to harm me, brothers. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What does it take to walk in forgiveness? First of all, fully grasp that God is judge. You don't have to be. Fully get a handle on it that God is sovereign and he is the judge of all. We are not. I think religion has gotten this wrong over the years. Some religion made it that... uh, We're at a level of superiority over the people that are not born again, that are not living the way of Christ. And when that happens, we begin to have a righteousness of our own. 
not of God's making, but we think we're better than. That is not the intent here. The intent here, fully get a hold of this, God is judge, not you and not me. We will all stand before him one day. Everyone, every man, every boy, girl, woman, child, everybody will stand before him. And he will be as judge. We're not, and that's not our job. And if we could learn to lay that down, what, how much easier would that be? We'd have to, we have to stop maybe keeping our eyes on people so much and just start keeping our eyes more on the Lord. And then as we do that, what are we going to have for people that come in here broken, messed up, addicted, damaged? What do we do with them? Yes. Love them. Love them. Scripture says they will know you as followers of Christ by your love. It's very important. Fully grasp that he is judge. <clears throat> Second thing, know what, that whatever wrong has been done to you will not keep you from God's plan. I'm going to say it again. Know that whatever has been done to you will not keep you from God's plan. God is not limited to the sin damage of this world. He has a plan. He'll work through that, and he works in your life with that in order to get you to the right place and in the right heart condition. Here's how Joseph wrote it. You planned it for evil against me. He's speaking to his brothers. God planned that for good, that I would be present here as a result, and because of this will be the survival of many, especially of my home, my family. Third thing it helps us do is surrender fear and worry. Okay, if we could learn to forgive, and if we could give up all of our anxieties, our fears, and our worries, how good would your life be? It'd be awesome. <clears throat> Just think about how much of our life is, is, has so much turbulence in it because of fear and worry and anxiety. I know the doctors will tell us that much of what they treat that looks like physical is not. It's emotional because of these issues. Here's what Joseph said, Therefore do not be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. Joseph said that to the brothers that abused him. You don't have to be afraid. God's judge, I'm not. I'm going to provide for you and your children. Sweet. That's you. That's the follower of Jesus Christ. When we don't judge and we're not fearful with anxiety, then we have this position to say, I love you and I'll do anything I can to help you where you are, help you get to your prosperity, get to your blessing of God. So what do we do in this one? Bottom line, trust God, not circumstances. You might find yourself in the pit like Joseph. You may find yourself in a jail cell like Joseph. You may find yourself accused of something false like Joseph. Don't be caught up in your circumstance. Trust God. In wherever you are, whatever you're going through, let's trust him. Now, I'm going to say that to you from up here. You'll need to say that to me someday when I'm down in my pit. Okay? But I want you to be able to tell me that, and I want to tell you that, and I want us to tell each other that in this tough time, Magnify, I think we sing it today. Magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us mag. And that's important 
Because you know what I do? I magnify my problems. When I get worried, what do I do? I magnified my anxiety. I magnify, oh Lord, how are we going to make it? The Lord says, take your eyes off of that stuff and magnify me. Start thinking about who I am. Consider who I am. So that as we magnify the Lord, we are understanding that he, we trust him. We don't even have to trust anything we see that we're living in. Even with all of that with Joseph, it said this line, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered him. That's you. Would you take the word Joseph out, put your name in it? The Lord was with your name so that he prospered. Third thing that we're making in these notes today, God's sovereignty gives us confidence to fully obey him. The only danger, the only danger you have and I have in this lifetime is the time that we choose to not follow God. When we choose and we have a calling of God, we have a plan that we know he planted in our heart, a ministry he wants us to be a part of, the only time we get in any kind of where we have danger, real danger, is when we are rebelling against God's plan. In other words, when we're rebelling against God's will for our life, we're walking down a road that is not designated for us. It was, this path was not built for us. If we're on that road, here's some things that are happening. His fatherhood is rejected. His will for us is being offended. His protection over us is being hindered. His provision for us is being withheld. His blessing is walked away from when we go out of our way to get, get away from God's plan. When we say no to God. That's the only dangerous place for us. It's when we walk willfully out of the will of God. You will not be fulfilled you will not be able to fulfill his plan when we're walking in rebellion. As a matter of fact, what it creates is a heart or a spirit of a nomad. A nomad is one who does not have necessarily a home, but they move from location to location to location to location. If we do not have the forgiveness of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and, we, and we're not walking, if we're walking in rebellion against that, in this nomadic position, you're always on the hunt, looking for something. One theologian called it a God-sized void or a God-shaped void inside of us. And we try, on this search, we'll try everything out there to try to fill that void that we feel in our heart. We can try possessions, cars, houses, money, uh, and, and boats, you know what they say about a boat? When's the best day of a boat? The day before you get it. Is that, after that, you have to pay a lot for it. So we find things and we try to fill that void with possessions. They just don't fit. Now, it may feel good for a day or two, but when it starts breaking down, stuff starts, you know, it doesn't satisfy anymore. Some of us try to fill that God-shaped void by a relationship with somebody else. We think if we have that person, that person is going to satisfy the deep need of my heart. Oh, she found him. 
and he's awesome, and he's going to meet every need of her heart until she finds out he doesn't, because we don't. That shape, that void is only for God and God alone. Whatever we try to fill that with, it may be for a season. You know what? As it gets further down the road, what we try to do is numb it. That's when we start getting into alcohol to try to numb that pain, drugs to try to deal with it. And that's when it starts getting more dark and, and more difficult. But it's the same issue. The void within can only be filled by God as we pursue him with our life. 